Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Science or Fiction podcast, the podcast that interviews researchers to separate the science from the fiction in news headlines. In this series, we're focusing on mental health. I'm your host, Catherine Bates. I'm currently a youth development researcher at King's College London, and this is a Science or Fiction podcast. First, a content warning. In this episode, we discuss mental health issues in general, specifically anxiety, depression, self-harm and eating disorders. If you're affected by any of the issues discussed, we've included resources on our website, www.scienceorfiction.co.uk. Also, just to note that we're not talking about individual cases of mental health or other issues. Instead, we're talking about the research in general and what the evidence shows. In today's episode, we're going to be tackling the ever-controversial topic of social media use and young people's mental health. Is there evidence behind the claim that social media use damages young people's mental health? Let's find out. Social media has become a huge part of our lives over the past two decades. We use social media to post updates between friends, to make and build relationships, and even to do shopping and to search for new information. While all of this can be positive, there are also some serious concerns. These include exposure to unrealistic portrayals of bodies and lifestyles, exposure to bullying and even exploitation. The relationship between social media use and young people's mental health has been the subject of a lot of research in the past decade, but the evidence is mixed. Despite some alarmist suggestions that social media could damage young people's mental health, including leading to increased anxiety and lower well-being, there's also now evidence to show that these findings could be negligible in practical terms, suggesting that we might not have to worry about social media. Although the research field has not yet come to a conclusion, these research findings are frequently reported by the news, and this is often on digital platforms as short articles with catchy headlines. In this format, details of the research are lost. We need to know the nuances of the research findings to make our own conclusions and decide for ourselves what action to take. In this episode of the Science or Fiction podcast, I'm interviewing researcher Louisa Farsi to get some answers. Before we introduce our guests, let's hear a few of the headlines. Social media damages teenagers' mental health, report says, BBC, January 2021. Teenage social media use linked to less life satisfaction for some, BBC, March 2022. I'm very excited to welcome our guest, Louisa Farsi. Hi, Louisa. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, Catherine. Very good, thank you. It's great to have you here. So can you tell us a bit about what you do before we get started? Yeah, sure. So I'm a, I'm, do, I'm currently doing a PhD at uh, the University of Cambridge, where I work between two departments, the MRC Cognition and Brain Sciences Unit and the Department of uh, Psychiatry. And my research mostly focuses on understanding how social media use is related to uh, mental health in uh, young people. And I specifically focus on uh, what are these links in clinical and non-clinical populations. So adolescents that are actually suffering from mental health conditions on the clinical spectrum as compared to adolescents that uh, are not. So we're trying to understand uh, these differences. Excellent. That's so interesting. So I guess a lot of the time this research is like adolescents on average rather than um, having a look at the, the different mental health conditions that could be at play. 
Exactly, yeah. Most of the research is often run on community samples, meaning that you have adolescents from the general population. So you might have some adolescents that are struggling with mental health conditions, but those are just part of a bigger sample. So there's not really a lot of distinction between uh, different groups. Great, let's get into it then. So why is there so much controversy over whether social media use is affecting young people's mental health? Yes, so I think a lot of the controversy really arises from the question itself and how we ask it rather than necessarily the answer. Oftentimes people ask the question, like the big question, does social media use affect mental health? Assuming that there's actually just one answer to it, yes or no. So we want to know if social media use affect mental health and we assume that we can just get to one simple answer. And I think this is really where the controversy starts uh, to arise, because the question most likely does not have uh, a simple answer. And this is definitely what also also seems to be the case when we look at the research uh, out there. The second issue is uh, that also when asking the question, does social media use affect mental health? We take oftentimes, and this is also what we observe in the headlines often, kind of a monolithic view of social media and mental health. So we describe social media as if it's one thing and mental health as if it's one thing. And we try to understand the relationship between these two big things without really going into the nuances of what social media and what mental health uh, really means. And if we take this monolithic view, it becomes very hard to get to one question because most likely, actually, there's not going to be a single question about uh, social media being Uh, good or bad uh, for mental health, also because there's not really a single social media and a single mental health that uh, we can um, be specific about. So eventually, I think the controversy arises from the fact that the question, does social media use affect mental health, is really a scientifically unanswerable question. And I often make the analogy uh, with another question. So let's say somebody were uh, to come to me and say, Luisa, can you actually test what is the effect of drinking on mortality in a research context? And then I would have to actually start thinking like, "Mm, okay, you want me to test what's the effect of drinking on mortality? Is it drinking water? Is it drinking alcohol juice? Is it drinking uh, alcohol? And then they could say, "Mm, I'm actually interested in the fact of drinking uh, water on mortality. And then still it wouldn't be it because I would want to know how much water. Is it uh, one glass of water? Is it two glasses? Is it uh, a thousand liters per day? Because that certainly will kill you. And then um, they could say, oh, it's just like a glass of water. And then I would want to know what is the source of the water? Is it from the tap? Is it directly from the river? So... It's very similar when we ask the question, does social media use affect mental health? What social media are we talking about? Are we talking about the time you spent on social media? Are we talking about the content you see on social media? And similarly, what type of mental health are we talking about? So when, again, we think of the big question, does social media use affect mental health? I don't really think we're going to ever get an answer to it. So it's really a scientifically unanswerable question. And that's why maybe a lot of controversy arises, because we get all of these mixed views uh, and ideas about how and why social media might be affecting mental health. But we don't, uh, we don't really get specific about what social media mental health really mean. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's actually way more complicated than just that really simple question. Does that mean then that 
in the research is it often like a single social media use measure and a single mental health measure is that what comes up the most and what is it normally is it like amount of social media use is it, is it ever split between the apps or and then the same with mental health is it like anxiety symptoms or is it sometimes a range but is it basically reflecting what you just said like you just have the one measure but that doesn't actually make sense Totally. Yeah. And that's exactly the thing that oftentimes what you read in the news headline is social media use affects anxiety. And then when you actually looked at what the studies are uh, studying, what they study is oftentimes self-reported time spent on social media. So this is the most common proxy of social media use that research studies uh, use. And what this means is that uh, young people are asked the question, how uh, much time on average do you spend on any social media platform on a typical day or on a weekend? And then they have in brackets like Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. So putting together all the apps and they have to answer self-reporting. So on a Likert scale from one to five, oh, I spend uh, between one and two hours, between three and five hours, etc., up to seven plus hours, for instance. So this is the mostly common metric that we, uh, the studies are using to measure social media, which is first relying on time spent and secondly, relying on self-report. So there's a bit more studies now coming out that are actually tracking smartphone usage or um, time spent on a certain app, but it is still less common compared to self-reports. And then there's a whole new story when it comes to mental health, because uh, there most times we're looking again at questionnaires, self-reports, which is quite common in the literature because uh, that's, yeah, that's the most common measure we use of mental health. We ask people how they're feeling. Most studies looked at uh, well-being and life satisfaction. So how, uh, how is your well-being or how satisfied do you feel with your life? And it's again on a Likert scale from one to five. And then there's also quite a bit of research that is looking at uh, anxiety and depression. So questionnaires of uh, symptoms of anxiety and depression. And importantly, most of these studies, even if they look at anxiety and depression, they do it again in a community sample. So in a group of adolescents from the general population, which is quite different from asking uh, anxiety and depression type of questions in a clinical group. In terms of a community sample, what exactly does that mean? And is it usually um, like a huge sample or is it like 20 people? What's the most common? It varies very much depending on the studies. So uh, I have to say that in the social media literature, there's a lot of studies with quite big samples in the thousands, even sometimes 10,000s, because oftentimes this data is collected through national surveys. So those are uh, surveys that are represented of the population of a certain country, Oftentimes, it's Western uh, countries, so there's quite a lot of bias in terms of sample diversity. Uh, this is a problem that we know uh, to be there, not only in the social media literature, but is definitely found in social media research as well. Um, and oftentimes, yes, so those are like big uh, national representative samples, around thousands of people. And then there's, of course, also smaller studies, but there's quite a few studies in the thousands um, where uh, adolescents are asked, usually the amount of time they spent online on social media. And then uh, there's a bunch of questionnaires about mental health. Interesting. Okay, so that is actually like that has some pros in the sense that a huge representative sample can lead yes. to some like representative conclusions. But then, like you say, you don't get the nuances of how much that 
person might be suffering from a mental health condition or not. So I guess before we move on to a specific example, what are some of the really important research findings in this area that we should actually know about? Yeah, so I can talk about what I think are like three of the most prominent and established findings. The first one, as I mentioned, because most of the research is focusing on time spent on social media, is about time spent. So this is what the most of the evidence, uh, most of the evidence that we have is about time spent. And what we know is that screen time, so generally spending time uh, on your phone or on your screen and spending time on social media has small associations with uh, well-being, life satisfaction and uh, mental health. So it seems that uh, there's not big associations uh, between the amount of time you spend on social media and uh, your well-being. So here we're talking about associations, not yet effects. So what this means is that uh, if I spend a lot of time on social media, then usually this is not greatly affecting my well-being. Uh, associations are uh, are small, but uh, some most times negative. So if I spend more time on social media, there's a slightly decrease in my well-being, but this could also go the other way around. So actually, if I'm feeling a bit sad, I have a bit of a lower well-being, then this predicts me using a bit more social media. So most of the research is relying on correlational studies, which means that we look at associations. So we don't know about the directionality, although there are some research that now look looks into effects and it seems to suggest a similar trend so that actually there's small effects sometimes negative from social media to well-being and mental health so more time spent on social media leads to lower uh, decreases in mental health but this uh, lower decrease seems to be quite uh, negligible in size so we're not talking about huge uh, a huge decrease in well-being and mental health so this is kind of the first um big uh, finding in the field that has been uh, replicated across multiple studies. Yeah, I just want to pick up on some really important points there. So one being that we're currently, or most of the studies are currently looking at associations. So that means that making the claim or the conclusion that social media damages young people's mental health is not yet substantiated. Is that right? And the second really important thing um, is, I think it's really interesting that it can also be the other way around. Like you might be, if you're feeling low, you might turn to social media to chat to friends or um, do whatever on there um, to make you feel better. Um, But again, is so just to get my head around it, that's also an association. So we also can't conclude going on social media when you feel low will make you feel better but we can conclude there's an association that people that feel low if they go on if they use a lot of social media they tend to feel better right so it's mostly that if people feel low then they go and spend more time on social media we don't know then how exactly we don't know then how that that makes them feel so the association goes if i feeling more low then i go and spend more time on social media or if i spend a bit more time on social media then there's a slight decrease in my well-being but again we're talking about very small um effects uh, in this case 
And also the second thing that I would like to discuss that kind of uh, follows on your point is that actually there's a lot of variability depending on uh, the uses and uh, the users, the users. So it's very hard to establish a dose response relationship whereby we say this much increases social media is generally causes this much decrease or increase in well-being. So there's a lot of variability and uh, there seems to be that uh, some adolescents are differentially affected by others, which taps again on the point that uh, the research tends to be on these large uh, community samples, but there's not a lot of focus on the specific subgroups when it comes to mental health, but also when it comes to uh, other factors that might be interested. I guess maybe later we are going to talk about potential age and gender differences. So the, only now the research is starting to get into the how uh, different groups might be uh, differentially affected. Uh, but generally, we're, we're taking adolescents as a whole, whereas I think more research needs to be done looking at uh, the specific subgroups. And then I guess uh, the third thing I uh, want to uh, focus on is that there is, um, there is not a lot of research about the content that adolescents are exposed to on social media and how that is affecting mental health, which is probably a very interesting question uh, that we as researchers definitely want to know about. It's much harder to get data on content exposure because you would need to actually uh, look and look at social media data and what are the different posts uh, that uh, young people are exposed to. What um what seems to be quite established is that uh, appearance comparison on social media, so comparing uh, your appearance, and here we are mostly talking about bodies, to others seems to be associated with lower self-esteem and lower body uh, satisfaction, particularly in girls. So I think that's also another finding that seems to be uh, quite uh, established. The content uh, point is really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's what um, kind of comes into the worry about social media, especially from like parents and practitioners. Um, some of the work I've done looking at um, practitioner perspectives on um, young people's experiences is that they're really worried about um, the increase in social media use being linked to like um, exposure to exploitation but also bullying between friends and that's a real concern for them but then when you speak to a young person about social media use they're often not concerned about what they're about their use or or how they're using it so I think yeah that's just a really important point that we need to know what the content is and um, the experience of that to understand how it's maybe going to affect young people. Definitely. And I think what's important to realize is that most of the he these headlines that discuss research studies oftentimes don't look at content, which is actually what we would be interested in knowing, right? It's mostly mm -hmm. just time spent. So it's putting together all of the things that you might be doing on a social media platform. But if I'm using like uh, YouTube to um, sometimes I check my statistics, you know, like how much time did I spend today? And it's like, I don't know, four hours. And I'm like, wow, four hours on social media. And then I see like two hours on YouTube and I actually did like two hours of yoga. Like that's very different than watching uh, maybe harmful content on YouTube. And it's the same if I were to spend like one hour on Instagram, but I'm actually looking at inspirational content. There's research that hints to the fact that inspirational content is actually associated with higher mental health. 
So if people explore their interests, that's also associated with higher mental health. So there now seems to be a bit more research hinting to the fact that we need to diversify what young people are doing online because there are some types of uses of social media that are associated with higher mental health compared to other types of uses, usage that definitely can, can be harmful, like uh, cyberbullying or exposure to self-harm content. And there's, of course, there's the blurry line between where there's content that in itself might be neutral, but that for some people might be actually harmful. Um, for example, if I'm exposed to food content, uh, for some people it might not be triggering, but for a person that has a predisposition for an eating disorder, continuous exposure to food content might be. So there still needs to be research about these distinctions. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, right, so let's get into the specifics. Um, in each episode, we dive into the research behind a specific headline. And this week, we're going to discuss the research from colleagues in your research group that has been covered recently in the following news article. Teenage social media use linked to less life satisfaction for some, BBC March 2022. Does social media make teens unhappy? It may depend on their age. New York Times, April 2022. Um, so can you just briefly summarize the main findings of this study for us? Yes, sure. So uh, this was a study that, as you mentioned, was run um, by my research group. I was not directly involved, uh, but um, yeah, I, we talked a lot uh, about the findings because uh, they kind of um, were very interesting in terms of all of these different groups and differential um, associations and effects that social media use might have with mental health. So this study was an analysis of uh, two big uh, UK data sets. So we're talking again about uh, big samples, uh, which is very good because then we can look at effects uh, across people that are representative of the general population. So this was a study that first looked at 84,000 uh, participants across the ages from 10 to 80, so a very large age span. And it uh, looked at the cross-sectional relationship, so at associations between uh, self-reported time spent on social media and life satisfaction. And it found that these associations, so we're not talking about effects yet, just the association between um, time spent on social media, self-reported and life satisfaction was mostly negative in younger adolescents across the lifespan. Whereas in other age groups, this association didn't seem to be there. And also that uh, sex differences in this relationship were only present during, during this time. So that actually girls and boys seems to uh, show uh, differential uh, associations uh, during this time. And that also uh, there was an inverted U shape in this association. So people that tended to spend more and people that tended to spend uh, less time on social media, so those are the extreme, seem to actually show more negative uh, associations uh, with uh, well-being. Then what is very interesting um, was that the study follow up on this and not only looked at associations, but also looked more into the effects part. And this was possible because uh, there was longitudinal data available. What this means is that uh, you didn't only have data about a single time point, but there was data about multiple time points. And in this case, the study looked at uh, 17,000 uh, uh, participants from the young uh, group. And uh, it hinted to the fact that there might be distinct developmental uh, time windows 
for which social media is specifically affecting uh, life satisfaction. So there might be specific ages at which social media is exerting a, a higher effect on life satisfaction. And what, uh, and what the authors found here was that actually these windows occur at different ages in males and females. So the effect of um, social media on life satisfaction was happening at age 14 to 15 in males, but it was happening a bit before in females at age 11 to 13. So it seemed that there was this kind of switch in, uh, in terms of age, whereas females were affected before and males were affected after. And then there was also a window at 90 years old, 19 years old, sorry, 90 would be <laughs> a bit too old, um, where both groups, so both males and females uh, were affected. And uh, lastly, what I think is interesting that we already discussed before was that not only social media seem to have uh, an effect uh, on life satisfaction, but also the other way around, that a small decrease in life satisfaction also predicted uh, a, a subsequent uh, small increases uh, in social media use. But in this case, there, was, there were no age or sex uh, differences. Fascinating. Um, it sounds like a huge study and there was lots of different analysis in there. So a few things to unpick. Um, the first thing is, can we just define the difference between cross-sectional analysis and longitudinal? Yes, definitely. So a cross-sectional analysis is an, in a, is an analysis where you uh, look, for instance, in this case, a social media mental health at the same time point. So you ask a person, how much time do you spend on social media? And you ask them at the same time, how satisfied do you feel with your life? And then you collect the data. So what this means is that you have no temporal dimension there because you know about social media life satisfaction at the same time, which makes it very hard to tell what comes first. In a longitudinal analysis, on the other hand, you have them separate. So you ask about social media and mental health first at one time point, and then again you follow up at a second time point, at a third time point, asking up again about their social media and mental health. And what this allows you to do is to look at time patterns. So you can see how does social media time point one link to life satisfaction at time point two and vice versa. So you can track um, these effects throughout time because you have this time dimension as compared to cross-sectional data, which kind of has everything together at a single time point. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, it kind of plays into what we talked about a little bit at the start, but it's really interesting that it's very little social media use and heavy social media use that can have these associations. So I'm just interested um, into what you think that means so I guess that kind of suggests that in a sense a certain amount of social media use is is a good thing is, is that yeah. right yeah it does that's exactly what the association within that again we're talking about associations so it's hard to say like we're talking about whether social media is affecting life satisfaction or, or vice versa but what this seems to suggest is that actually people that are using not a lot of social media they seem to have a lower life satisfaction. And this could be for many things. There's research that now start, is starting to go in terms of also like digital exclusion. So because there's so much going, around, going on on social media, when actually young people are not using them at all, they might, they might feel excluded from their peers. So 
So this might be a potential explanation, but there's really not a lot of evidence now to make any claims of this kind. Um, and then, of course, for high social media use, there might be a lot of reasons, one of which could be that uh, it displaces time from other activities. So the highest social media use, I think, was seven or more hours on social media, self-reported. So that's quite a lot, of, a lot of time, which means that you can't do other things that might be beneficial for your mental health, like exercising, engaging in offline social interaction. But... Um, the middle part of social media. So when you use, uh, when you spend on average, like I think there it was uh, between two and uh, a bit more hours on social media per day, that doesn't seem to have, um, yeah, negative associations with life satisfaction. The other thing that's super interesting is like potentially these windows in development that could be different um, between boys and girls, um, males and females. So way might that be useful for us to know um like what can we do with that information if we know that there's kind of a more sensitive time at certain time points um and then also second part of that question i think the 19 year old one is super fascinating because there's like a bit of a transition around then yes so we're like leaving education and going on to work or going on to university um yeah i just think that's really interesting i'm interested to hear what you think no, definitely. So starting from the 90-year-old, I think it was very interesting, the fact that uh, in both um, in both uh, males and females, this was the same. So you observed uh, exactly at the same age, this slight decrease uh, in um, life satisfaction predicted by uh, social media use. And uh, in that case, probably we're talking about a transition period that mo that uh, both males and females are experiencing. You're going to university uh, or you're starting a job. You uh, might move out around that age. So it's a sensitive period in that sense because a lot of changes are happening. And it's also interesting that uh, in ages before, there was actually this, uh, this difference between males and females. This could be due to the fact that females um, like start puberty uh, a bit before than males. So this is known to be, uh, there's known to be biological changes that start befalling females. And what was observed is that actually social media was um, leading to lower life satisfaction before for females than for males. So this might be associated to the fact that females are entering puberty around 11 to 13, whereas uh, for males, uh, pubertal development happens uh, later, so 14 uh, to 15. Um, and maybe during these sensitivity windows, social media might actually um, might actually have uh, stronger effects, and we might need more. We might need to be a bit more careful. How and why? I think it's a very complex question that I don't know yet how to answer. Specifically, because we don't know what type of social media we're talking about. Again, like we know it's about time, but what? is the content uh, that people are exposed to, what kind of activities are they engaged in. And I think without that sort of information, it's very hard to say what can we do about um, social media relation to mental health in these specific time windows. Because I would expect that uh, it's not 
let's stop any type of social media use or let's just restrict the whole of social media. It might just be that we need to uh, redirect social media use towards a certain type of content or towards a certain type of activity that um, actually decreases uh, this potential sensitivity. Um, and for that, we definitely need more research. Yeah, so there's lots of like small pieces to the puzzle to still put together to understand this interaction for sure. Um, I guess a more general question or a broader question now, but in this um, study or the way that it's reported in the journal article um, and in actually many others, we kind of touched on this at the start, but the authors report that the effects were significant but small um, and should be considered carefully. So can we just talk about a little bit about what that means and how we can make conclusions from it? Yes. So you touched on a very important point that still raises a lot of controversy in research. So sometimes we have lab meeting when we go on and discuss about this for hours because um, yeah, there is still a hot topic in research. Uh, a lot of studies are mentioning the fact that, oh, we find something as significant, but then also it's small. Um, and usually in research, when you say something is significant, it means it deems to have attention because it's very unlikely to be happening by chance. So actually, if, if a finding is significant, we expect that something is going on there. However, now with uh, the advent of like big data and big data sets, what happened is that we are having increasingly access to a lot of data. Um, and this day, in this data, oftentimes there's a lot of associations uh, between different factors. And it's often the case that we actually find a lot of things uh, being related to each other, uh, just because you're measuring so many things together that it's very likely that you find a lot of associations. So then these ideas comes up that it's actually like, oh, we're finding a lot of associations. A lot of them are significant, but are they really meaningful? And especially in psychology, because everything is associated with everything. We're talking about biological factors, social factors, like we know that we live in a very complex world where everything is really interacting with everything. We need to start considering, well, there are all these sorts of interactions, but are they really meaningful? Do we really need to care about it? Do we really need to make a policy change or uh, advise teachers and parents about uh, these uh, significant associations? And, um, and this, again, becomes a controversial topic in social media research because oftentimes what we see is that, yes, there is an association or there is an effect, but uh, it's very small. So there are these small changes. And I think we are not yet sure about whether that, that small change is telling us something meaningful and important, or it's actually just a fluctuation, you know, and um, and it's an association that it's not making such a huge impact. So I guess it's still a bit uh, difficult uh, to define. And this also taps into the fact that when we look at clinical studies, for instance, a lot of research is saying, oh, there might be an effect on depression or anxiety, but this is not clinically meaningful. What this means that on an anxiety or on a depression scale, you see a small uh, increase in depression, but that's actually not meaning that that person, like that the people that have been tested are a higher chance of having depression on a clinical level. So of receiving a diagnosis. So would you say that uh, 
we have to still be um, careful about it and we need to actually uh, see it as important or is it maybe a bit less important because actually it's not clinically uh, relevant. So I don't know if that answers the question or creates more answers, probably the latter. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, it's um, super interesting and super clear. Um, I think that's often the way that, uh, that's kind of the whole point of having this discussion is because a lot of the time you can make a bigger claim or a big conclusion sentence out of a small effect. And it's exactly that thing of like, but how meaningful is it, especially clinically in the context of mental health? Um, so just to uh, clarify a bit more, when there is a small association or a small effect, does it essentially mean that there's lots of other things going on that we haven't looked at in that context? So there's lots of other factors that can also be having an effect. I think that's hard to say. What we when we find a small significant effects, what this means is that something is going on. So it's very unlikely that that effect or that association is happening uh, by chance. But because it's very very small, we are not sure whether still that's meaningful in theory and for us, right? So it might be that such a change is very unlikely to happen by chance. But then when we really start to think, thinking, okay, but what does an increase in like 0.5 or one point in life satisfaction on a five Likert scale mean? Then we're not sure how to interpret it. Like, what is this telling us? Is this really meaningful? And that's really, it's really more about interpretation and about what we deem as a meaningful effect and that's why now a lot of the um a lot of the discourse around this in research is about we need to define before what do we think is a meaningful effect before we actually test it so that then if we said before i think that actually an effect this big is actually meaningful and we find that it's significant we can say it's significant and meaningful but if we find a very small effect that is significant we have already defined before that actually that effect might not be meaningful and by that we are um we are protecting ourselves against then carrying out on study and like peeking afterwards oh this might be an effect that is significant but mm, maybe it's not meaningful depending on our biases or depending on what we already think so i think it's important that researchers think before actually carrying out these experiments what is a meaningful effect and then carry out the study and that can already arise from discussions and really discussing together what do we think is a meaningful effect so i guess the point is that you might this small effect could go from feeling somewhat anxious to slightly anxious and it's like yes. well what does that mean and I guess kind of to finish where should we go next with this research like what do you what do we need to study in order to better under, understand this relationship between social media use and young people's mental health yeah so many things. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I have like a long list in my head. Yeah, so I think this is um, this is a research area that is, there has been already, I think, around 10 years of research, but there's still so much to be done. And of course, science is cumulative. So we want research to first replicate and to show whether some effects are consistent to then go on and explore new avenues. When it comes to what I think is important, um, and we already started discussing about it, is 
first research on different groups. So research on clinical groups is very important. There's not a lot of studies that look at adolescents uh, that have a diagnosis or that have a history of uh, mental health conditions or that are experiencing a mental health condition um, when they're being studied. And this is very relevant because I expect that there we might find that uh, specific types of social media use might have differential associations to mental health. So I already brought some examples like exposure to food content or to thinness ideal might be particularly detrimental for a person that um, has an eating disorder, but not necessarily for a person with anxiety, for which actually the amount of social feedback that you receive might be uh, triggering. And this might be, again, different for a person with depression, for which instead, and this is all potential hypothesis, right? We don't know yet about this. Uh, a person with depression might actually be more triggered by passively scrolling through social media and is like passive scrolling as compared to active engagement. So we need to um, start differentiating uh, these different types of social media and these different mental health uh, conditions. And um, this also will allow us to look into mechanisms, which is something very interesting that research hasn't really done yet. And that goes into asking the question, well, social media is an effect on mental health, might have an association on mental health, but why? Like, what's the mechanism behind the effect uh, or the association of social media use on mental health? Is it because of the feedback that you receive? Is it because of the time that you spend? Um, what are these mechanisms? And this is often what research tries to do, to really understand why is something affecting something else? And only when we understand why we will be able to manipulate something to see whether it changes, right? So the ultimate goal of research is to actually uh, establish causality. So these effects, like, can we really say that if I wiggle something, something else will wiggle? So is it the case if I wiggle social media, if I manipulate it, then mental health will also change? And to do that, we can't manipulate the whole of social media. We need to manipulate something specific. We need to manipulate maybe a mechanism. So we uh, might want to run a study where we uh, manipulate a mechanism like the amount of like that you receive or the amount of time that you spend scrolling or the type of content that you're exposed to. And then we observe how does that manipulation affect uh, mental health? So this is something that uh, yeah, is yet to be done. And I think it's going to be very interesting because it's really going to show us what these effects, uh, what is underlying these effects. So the why is a really big question. <laughs> and yes. also the like individual factors of who is being affected and in what context and with what content is also really important. I think this is really interesting because a lot of the time, it's almost flipped the other way around in social media research, because a lot of the time in psychology research, you start really small and with the specific manipulations. Whereas with social media research, I guess because of the national surveys you were talking about, we have these like huge general um, samples, which are brilliant, but then we don't have the, the nuances and the very specific measures. So it's, it's interesting that it's like started at the other end and now it's going 
backwards down to the why and to the mechanism. Yeah, that's true, actually. I never thought about it that way. It's very interesting because in a lot of psychological research, you actually observe exactly the opposite, that studies are so specific and then everybody's like, oh, but you need to go a bit bigger. And um, whereas here, yeah, it's exactly the opposite. And also, I think that has to do with like data availability. It's we're talking about a lot of data um, that is also very hard to access. Like it's not easy to access data from social media platform. There's a lot of sensitive and personal information and um, it's a lot of information in and of itself. And also it's very hard to access it when it comes to social media platform and actually uh, getting the data. So that has made it very hard for researchers to be able to address uh, this question. So it's also gonna be important in the next years to actually possibly get access uh, to this data to start asking questions like that. So we've come to that time in the episode, the very big question, social media damages young people's mental health. Is it science or fiction? <laughs> I think, as I mentioned at the beginning, we can't answer this question. Like it's not a question that we can really address as a whole. So far, what we know is that time spent on social media doesn't seem to damage uh, mental health substantially. There's so many things that, so if we're talking about effects of time spent on social media on mental health and the headlines that say, oh, spending time on social media uh, makes you depressed, I would say no. Like we don't have evidence to hint at that, especially if we are discussing depression as a clinical condition. Um, and oftentimes it's not very clear when we're talking about depression, what, re what really type of depression are we talking about or anxiety, uh, et cetera. So I think we can't really make those claims that uh, time spent on social media is causing mental health problems. Um, but also we don't know a lot of other things about, maybe there might be stuff about social media that are having detrimental effect, as well as, as there might be stuff about social media that are having very good effects on mental health. Um, through exploring your interest or being exposed to inspirational content. So, yeah, that's in short <laughs> my answer. Does that? <laughs> it's, yeah, don't ask a researcher uh, about, <laughs> about like, oh, is it yes or no? Because oftentimes it's like, mm, it depends, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's a sign of, of a good conclusion and a good researcher. <laughs> better than going like all the way in with, yes, it's definitely this when we don't yeah. actually know that yet. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, so I guess before you, I let you go, um, do you have any recommendations for our listeners if they want to find out more on this topic? Yeah, so there's an article, which is an annual uh, research review that I think was very inspiring, at least for me to read and to really understand what are the nuances when it comes to social media and mental health. So this is an article by uh, Candice uh, Odgers and uh, Michaeline Jensen, uh, and it's entitled Social, um, sorry, Adolescent Mental Health in the Digital Age, Facts, Fears, and Future Directions. So it's an annual research review and, um, and taps into like, what are some facts, but also what are some fears and future direction for research and really uh, tries to disentangle what is it that we know about social media and what are all the things that we don't know in terms of its relationship to mental health. Brilliant. Okay, great. We will link that on our website. Um, great. So thank you so much, Louisa, for coming on to the podcast today. 
And thank you all for listening. Such a fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to Louisa for coming on to the podcast today. You can follow us for updates and more information on Instagram and TikTok at Science or Fiction Pod and on Twitter at Sci or Fiction Pod. If you want to get in touch or if you have a suggestion for a future topic, you can email us at info at scienceorfiction.co.uk. And as always, you can find the recommendations from the researcher and links to resources for mental health support at www.scienceorfiction.co.uk. Finally, I would like to thank King's College London and the Wellcome Trust Public Engagement Grant for funding this series on mental health. Thank you to Afra Din for helping me to produce this episode. Thank you to Kit Studio for the branding and to Jamie Johnson for the music. See you next week.